The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Election Day edition. Here we go. PFTPM, Shereen Williams, Mike Florio. Welcome in, everyone. I wonder if anybody is actually watching this on their phone while they're waiting in line to vote. Hopefully you won't have to wait long to vote. I've seen nothing today to suggest that there are ridiculously long lines, maybe because 100 million people voted before the election. I know I did. Shereen, did you vote before the election or did you vote today? Or not at all. That's part of your right. You can choose not to vote. Oh, I went today and it's fantastic. The voting, my voting place is right next door, literally 100 yards. So I walked over there, walked in, voted, walked out, walked back home all in about 10 minutes. There was no one in line. So I hope people are voting today. But judging by my lines, they all voted before uh, last week or the week before. Well, you're in Texas where I think they surpassed the total vote from 2016 just with mail-in ballots. I don't know if they actually got there but it was getting close so a lot of people exercising their right doing their civic duty although i continue to believe and i reserve the right to play this card at some point in the future depending upon how i feel about the candidates i believe part of your right as american is to choose not to vote although i encourage everyone to choose to vote it's just part of the freedom you you freedom to be lazy that i like that freedom that's one of my favorite freedoms they should have an amendment (laughs) to the constitution that you know, encapsulates the right to be completely and totally lazy. We're not lazy today. We are here and we are getting it done as it relates to all the news coming out of the NFL trade deadline, which also was today. And we've got our week eight awards coming up. We're going to do a Vikings Packers rewatch, plus plenty more over the course of the next hour. Shereen, let's get right to it. The trade deadline came and went today without much fanfare, as expected. Most of the trades that were going to be done were going to be done last week so that teams could get their players in the fold for week nine. If you do a trade today, for example, the one deal that was done, DeAndre Washington acquired by the Dolphins, the running back sent from the Chiefs to Miami because Miles Gaskin injured an MCL on Sunday against the Rams and is going to miss some time. That's a necessity trade. That's a one of our guys got injured on Sunday. We better do something about it trade. That's the the one major category of potential trades that we would have seen. And we saw that because the Dolphins had that need. They kept the injury quiet until they could do the deal. Now they get some help at running back, even though he'll have to wait six days. He won't be available this weekend when the Dolphins play the Arizona Cardinals, Shereen. Yeah, and Mike, I was hoping we'd see at least one big name go, whether it was Will Fuller or whoever. We had a ton of names that were bannered about all week and none of those guys went they all remained with their teams and I was kind of disappointed we didn't have at least one kind of splash trade I mean these were just kind of eh okay you know a couple guys traded moved to different teams maybe they help maybe they don't but they were all small deals but I do think Mike and you've talked a lot about this that you think the trade deadline should be moved back regardless I think this year in particular it should have been moved back two or three weeks I mean We've had all these COVID cases. I would be curious if the Cowboys had another week or two, whether they might try to go trade for a quarterback, uh, considering they put Andy Dalton on the COVID list today. But they're out of time now, and and these deals are done now. If you want to cut a player, pick up a player off way, he has to go through waivers now if a player is cut. So um, no chance for that. But I do think it should have been pushed back at least for this year. That's the one big procedural change after today. Before today, anyone with four or more years of service who is cut instantly becomes a free agent and can sign with any team. After today, everyone who is released must pass through waivers. And look, I'm a believer, Shireen, that there should be no trade deadline. Why should there be an artificial barrier on the ability of franchises to transact business? You want to do a trade Christmas Day? Do a trade Christmas Day. You want to do a trade? Now, I think rosters should lock for the teams when the regular season ends, the teams that aren't making it to the postseason. 
so a team can't go buy some guy that that would otherwise be done for the year and load up the cannon for a playoff run and give up a draft pick next year to do that. But I'm a free enterprise kind of guy when it comes to letting the two teams that want to do business do business. I don't like the artificial deadline. I don't like it now, especially with seven playoff spots per conference, because there aren't enough teams that can say, you know what, we're done let's go ahead and do some sort of a fire sale and load up on draft picks for next year. And and if a team wants to go out and try to enhance its roster in the hopes of pursuing a championship, go ahead and do it. How often do you really see a guy who gets acquired during the season via trade come in and make a huge difference? Sometimes they help, but I, I'm, I'm at a loss to think that there was a Super Bowl champion that was pushed over the top by an in-season trade. And of course, as I say that, I'm thinking, boy, there must be one obvious one that I'm missing, but I can't think of one. Shereen, can you? I I really can't. And, you know, the Cowboys traded all those high picks for receivers at trade deadlines, and they didn't make much of a difference. But I can't think of one right at the trade deadline that, that really made that big of a difference. Of course, there was one 31 years ago that was supposed to make a big difference for a team that had Super Bowl aspirations, that had everything it needed, but a running back and gave up enough for the Cowboys to win three Super Bowls in four years. Thanks a lot for that one, Shireen, for the Vikings and Herschel Walker. But other than that, there have been efforts, but they have not largely been successful. Will Fuller not traded by the Houston Texans today. There'd been some chatter and you never know when talk is out there, who's really pushing it. Was it interim GM Jack Easterby working the media a little bit to try to create an interest in Will Fuller so he didn't have to initiate talks because when you're the one who initiates, you give up leverage. You make it known through leaks to the media that maybe there's interest in a guy and maybe people call the Packers and the Texans were rumored to be linked on a possible Will Fuller trade. We heard the sound from Aaron Rodgers at the top of the program and we had it on earlier today on PFT Live. You know, he, in a very uh, roundabout indirect way as Aaron Rodgers likes to send messages made it clear he wouldn't object to some help at receiver but they weren't able to get it done and it doesn't surprise me what are you getting with Will Fuller you're getting a guy that's got an eight-figure salary you'd be picking up roughly half of it for the rest of the year he's got injury issues and you've you've got to implement him on the fly into your scheme and it may or may not work it's and what do you give up to get him you know what did the Texans want when you consider Mohamed Sanu got a second round pick last year for the Falcons And that's the thing, Mike, they did want too much. And the Texans had a lot of guys they were listening to offers from, and none of them worked out. And the reason none of them worked out is because the Texans wanted too much. I would have loved to have seen the Packers add a receiver. I mean, when you look at those receivers, what they've done beyond uh, Devontae Adams, it it has not been good. Alan Lazard obviously was, was having a really good season when he got hurt. But those guys just haven't gotten it done really behind Devontae Adams. And they did need to add somebody, but they they just they couldn't do it. Couldn't pull off the deal, didn't want to give up uh, what it took. And I know Aaron Rodgers back in the draft wanted a receiver drafted high. And obviously in the first two rounds, they didn't do that, taking a quarterback and a running back. So he did not get the receiver that he wanted either through the draft or through a trade. I mentioned that the Chiefs traded running back DeAndre Washington to the Dolphins. Obviously, the arrival of Le'Veon Bell made Washington expendable. The Dolphins traded Isaiah Ford to the Patriots for a 2022 seventh-round draft pick. That's the closest thing to nothing that you can give up for a guy. Not just next year's seventh-rounder, a seventh-rounder two years from now. So kind of a strange thing. Apparently someone with the Patriots had uh, an affinity for Ford, and I don't know that he's going to make a huge difference for a team that already has its head coach making some excuses, even though he says they're not excuses. They are excuses for why the team's 2-5 and this year. By the way, just came in from Matt Barrows of The Athletic. Dante Pettis of the 49ers was waived today. They were unable to find a trade partner for him, so he will pass through waivers. Antonio Brown, officially part of the Buccaneers roster today, activated to the 53-man roster now that his suspension has ended. Remember, he's not out of the woods. He could face further action from the league, or the Buccaneers could cut him based upon how this pending civil lawsuit for sexual assault is resolved. He'd like to get a continuance of a trial that is set for December of this year. That was some documentation that broke overnight. Here's Tom Brady talking to Jim Gray of Westwood One on last night's Monday Night Football pregame show regarding the reality that Antonio Brown has been living at Brady's house. 
Antonio is a good friend of mine. And again, we've uh, gotten to know each other pretty well over the years. So he's just getting settled and I know he's looking for places, but it's just nice to be able to, to have him around and, you know, we're getting to work and he likes to be integrated into what we're doing and big transition for him moving across the state and really not knowing anyone. So, you know, again, just trying to be a great teammate and help someone out, you know, is a, is a friend of mine. Yeah, I don't think Tom Brady is such a great teammate that any new arrivals in Tampa Bay can move into the house he's renting from Derek Jeter. This is more than just being a great teammate. There's a relationship there. However it happened, in a short time in New England, Brady and Brown became very, very good friends. And I personally think that this Antonio Brown to Tampa Bay thing was in the works for months. I wouldn't be surprised if Bruce Arians deliberately downplayed it so people wouldn't see it coming. I think Antonio Brown's had the playbook for a long time. And I would guess that he's been staying at Tom Brady's house from time to time for a while now and working out with Tom Brady and getting to know the offense. Been, they've been too strangely tight-lipped about things before his arrival, things that happened before his arrival to make me think otherwise. Now he's officially part of the team, and in five nights we get to see what he's going to do in three and four receiver sets. Mike Evans said last night he looks forward to Antonio Brown drawing double coverages away from him, which is kind of conceding Antonio Brown's better than Mike Evans if he's going to draw a double coverage away from Mike Evans. You get both those guys on the field, though, the Saints are going to have a hell of a decision to make if Brown is able to hit the ground uh, running the way that the Buccaneers seem to think he will, Shereen. Mike, I hope Giselle has made it clear to Antonio Brown that he can't start throwing furniture around the house. You know, he's done that. Fortunately, they're you know, not 14 floors up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, it's but, yeah. a low-level house. So he could, he could throw some furniture into the water, right? Make sure no boats are out there yeah. when he does it. But at least it's not 14 stories down to the ground level if Antonio Brown gets upset. But, yeah, I'm sure that, I'm sure that uh, Giselle... Uh, laying down the law about what Antonio Brown can and can't throw out the window. And, and you know what it reminds me of, Mike, is when T.O. accused Jason Witten and Tony Roma of drawing up plays in their hotel room uh, on road games uh, because they did room together on the road. But the, you know they're drawing up plays. You know they're talking about the game at night when they get home, what they're going to do. And for whatever reason, Tom Brady has just not found that connection with Mike Evans. And we know Mike Evans is one of the best receivers in football, and he had the touchdown last night, but that connection just is not there. So maybe when A.B. gets there, that connection improves and the chemistry improves bet between Mike Evans and Tom Brady. But it's not been there so far, and that's unfortunate. And then when they get Chris Godwin back, I mean, heck, who do you who do you double there? That's just a nightmare for defensive coordinators. And I think this offense is just going to – we didn't see it click last night, but I think by the end of the season, if all those guys stay healthy, this is going to be an offense you definitely don't want to play in the playoffs. But, you know, look at that graphic that we just had. If we can put it back up. Evans gets targeted a lot more and is a lot more productive without Chris Godwin on the field, which makes you wonder whether or not there is that connection between Evans and Brady. And here's the thing. it's I'm, First of all, Mike Evans isn't wired to be like T.O. and complain that he thinks that the quarterback and another receiver are conspiring against him and trying to keep the ball from him. Evans is mature. Evans is positive. Evans isn't selfish. He welcomes Antonio Brown being there. He was interviewed last night by Lisa Salters after the win over the Giants, and he seems genuine. He doesn't seem capable of guile. He's a very, what you see is what you get, and I've always liked Mike Evans. He's, he doesn't have a lot to say. If you interview him, you better be ready with another question because you never know if you're just going to get a one-word answer. But I, I don't have any problem with him causing a ruckus because he thinks, suspects, or concludes that Brady and Brown are working together to come up with ways to get Antonio Brown the football. Yeah, he would never do that, Mike. And I go way back with Mike Evans to his days at Texas A&M when he was with Johnny and winning Johnny a Heisman, frankly. Uh, but he's a, he's a great guy, like you said. He's never going to complain about not getting the ball. He's a consummate teammate. He's a good team leader. He's very much better in one-on-ones than, than he is in a group uh, interview. I know that for sure. But, uh, yeah, he's not going to complain. And I think that's why Bruce Arians and Tom Brady love him so much is because he doesn't complain about not getting the ball. He's not your diva receiver for sure. But A.B., 
Four catches for 56 yards and a touchdown the last time he played. That was with Tom Brady in week two last year. It's been a long time since we've seen him. I cannot wait for Sunday night. I just think this is going to be fun. Well, and the last time we saw him play the Saints was his last game with the Steelers, December 2018. Targeted 19 times, 14 catches, 185 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. And that was the game that saw Juju Smith-Schuster fumble away the ball. The Steelers lost to the Saints 31-28. to Smith-Schuster was the GOAT. They got knocked out of the playoffs. Two days later, the Steelers announced, which no team should do during the season, the Steelers announced that the MVP for the team for 2018 was Juju Smith-Schuster. Antonio Brown got his nose out of joint. Antonio Brown threw the ball at Ben Roethlisberger, reportedly stormed out, never returned, and that was that for Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh after that great game against the Saints. And the Saints are going to have their hands full. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about this game as the week unfolds. They're going to have their hands full figuring out what to do with Brown and with Mike Evans and Gronk and Chris Godwin if he can play and Scotty Miller and good luck trying to slow down that offense. So I think Brown is going to have a big game. I think part of justifying the move to get Brown, the faith in Brown, all the talk about Brown is to use him. So everyone will say, well, now we know why you did what you did because he can come out and produce like he did the last time we saw him with the Steelers. All right, speaking of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, head coach of the only undefeated team in football, talking about the injury that knocked out Cam Hayward late in Sunday's win over the Ravens and the upcoming game against the Dallas Cowboys. Here's Tommy. We're, we're more optimistic about Cam Hayward. It's a wait and see regarding Tyson. Uh, and, and again, uh, with the number of those guys being at the defensive line position, obviously we'll be calling on uh, a number of our guys uh, at the depth of that, of that position. They'll have an opportunity to rise up and, and play quality ball for us. You know, more than anything, it's about how we function and, and the state that we're in and us doing the things that we need to do to produce victory in spite of the challenges that attrition in the game of football oftentimes presents teams. And so that's a challenge for us this week. Um, oftentimes I say the nameless great faces that we play are less important, and thus is the case. Um, we better make sure that you know we're fortifying our depths and doing the things that we need to do in terms of the guys that have to rise up, that they play at an acceptable level, that we can produce a winning performance. I don't think they'll have to worry about a winning performance this week against the Dallas Cowboys. And this is one of the great rivalries in all of football, Shereen. When, when we were kids back in the 70s, they met twice in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 10, Super Bowl 13, then again in Super Bowl 30. It's always a special game. It's always, for me, fascinating to see the black and gold and the blue star on the silver helmet on the field together. There's something magical about that. It takes me back 45 years. And it's a shame that the Cowboys are so bad this year. I'd, I'd like to think they can find something, that they can muster some pride, some level of effort and desire and talent to try to stay close to the Steelers. I, I doubt that's going to happen, especially now that Andy Dalton, on top of his concussion, is on the COVID-19 reserve list. Ben DiNucci is done as the starter. There's a shock. Garrett Gilbert or Rush Cooper. I mean, Cooper Rush will be. Cooper is it Rush. Gilbert? Gilbert? Is it Gilbert Garrett and Rush Cooper? Or is it Garrett? Gil <laughs> These backup <laughs> right. quarterbacks, we've talked about this. They can flip their names and you know they, it works either way. It's Cooper Rush and Garrett Gilbert. They'll all do respect to those two. One of those two will start. That's not good news for the Cowboys this weekend, Shereen. Uh, Colin Kaepernick sitting out there, and he might, but uh, the Cowboys, no. as we know, are not going to sign him, so they have Toes what they have, the and it, it, really sh it really shows you how much Jerry doesn't want to win, perhaps. I don't know. I, I just think you do better than Ben <laughs> DiNucci and Cooper Rush <laughs> and... You're, you're and, trying your damnedest Gilbert. to start this tank for Trevor. You are trying your damnedest to get them to do it. Tank for Trevor. I like. I want him to make a decision. I, I just. I just think it would be the juiciest of off-season storylines with Dak Prescott unsigned, and you have the number one overall pick. What do you do? Who do you pick? I just think it would be awesome going into the off-season with that uh, scenario. Oh, I think it would be incredible. And and look, I, 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 
you can never write off any NFL team in any given week. Look, last night we scoffed at the Giants' chances against the Buccaneers, and what happened? The, the Buccaneers almost lost to the Giants. The Steelers very easily could overlook the Cowboys. But, you know, there's a dynamic here that I think works against the Cowboys. Number one, they got 25,000 people or so that will be in the stands. Number two, probably a decent number of Steelers fans will be buying up tickets to watch their team play in person. And number three, there's just something special about that stadium. We saw that with the Browns, right? Anybody that's got any connection on that roster to Texas is going to feel like it's a bigger game. It's a bigger deal. And that prevents a team like the Steelers from viewing it as a trap game. That's one of the downsides of being America's team. You're never going to get anything less than the best effort from any team that you face. Yeah, and they certainly are. And the Steelers are going to come in there, and I think they're going to play well. Whether they have uh, Hayward, whether they have Tyson Alulu, I, I, they don't need them. They don't need Cam Hayward. They don't need Tyson Alulu. They're going to win that game. Maybe the Cowboys can keep it close like they did with the Eagles. I mean, they went way, way back in their playbook. They were drawing up plays on the sideline in the dirt, I think, uh, last week. But the Steelers are going to be prepared for all of those things, and their defense is so good. I just don't know if the Cowboys can score any points. I mean, since Dak Prescott went out, they were the number one offense in the NFL, third in scoring, and since he's been gone the last three games, they've scored a total of 22 points. Their last touchdown uh, came on Amari Cooper late in that Cardinals game on Monday Night Football uh, in 238 left in the game, and then it was mop-up, 38-10 final. Uh, the Cowboys just aren't good on offense right now, and they aren't good on defense, and they aren't good on special teams. So I don't think the Steelers, honestly, are going to have to do a whole lot to come in and win this game. They can rest whoever they want to rest this week, and they'll be fine. The Cowboys have a two-game winning streak over the Steelers dating back to 2008. 2012 was the last time the Steelers played at AT&T Stadium. They've played there twice, Super Bowl 45 and the regular season game in 2012. So the Steelers going for their first ever win at AT&T Stadium and Ben Roethlisberger going for his first win ever in Dallas. Although he may no, he may have won in 2004, October of 2004, one of his first games as the starter. The Steelers won 24-20 in uh, the old stadium in Irving. So it'll be a great game this weekend. I don't care about the Cowboys not being good. It's just fun to see the Steelers and the Cowboys on the field at the same time. One thing the Steelers need to worry about, Shereen, as the week unfolds, the incubation period that may or may not be applicable to players who were exposed possibly to the coronavirus during the game on Sunday against the Ravens because Marlon Humphrey, Ravens cornerback, tested positive from a sample that was taken on game day. So he was shedding virus on game day on the field. And the, we're on the conference call today with Alan Sills. They do those once a week or so. And the NFL reiterated its confidence that during a game, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to transmit the virus to an opponent. You're not around the person who's shedding the virus long enough. It's fleeting. It's quick. Yes, you're right there, but it takes sustained contact to have enough of the virus to get into your body to actually develop the illness. So this will be another test of that. If the Steelers don't have anyone pop up as positive this week, then, hey, the NFL's theory is right. But the Steelers are the guinea pigs this week, and that's one thing to keep an eye on. The Ravens, meanwhile, have seven players on the COVID-19 reserve list due to close contact with Marlon Humphrey. They'll be available Saturday morning, I believe, Saturday morning. If it was yesterday that that started, they can return after five days. Look at the guys, though, who won't be available to practice this week in advance of a game at Indianapolis. Matthew Judon, who was ejected from Sunday's loss to the Steelers. Patrick Queen, one of the candidates for Defensive Rookie of the Year, among others, who will be unavailable this week as the, the Ravens prepare. And, you know, the NFL's desire to get games in, it, hey, you let the virus into your building, you have guys who are in close contact, you're the one that faces the strategic disadvantage of not being able to get your guys ready. We saw it with the Raiders a couple weeks ago. We're going to see it with the Ravens this week. Yeah, we saw it with the Raiders' offensive line, and, you know, they came back, and unfortunately for Trent Brown, he wasn't able to play anyway because of the IV mishap. Uh, but they hope to get these guys back in the game, but missing practice time just hurts. You know, Mike, sometimes it just feels like like it's a team's year. Like, this feels like it's the Steelers' year. And on the other hand, it feels like it, sometimes it's not a team's year. And you look at the 49ers and the Cowboys and the Broncos and now the Ravens, and it just 
there's just a feeling you get that maybe it's just not their year with the COVID issues and injury issues and everything else that's, that's gone on with the Ravens. It's been Lamar Jackson not playing like he did last year in his MVP year, but it's just starting to feel to me like maybe this just isn't the Ravens year. And that's unfortunate for me because they were my preseason favorite to win the Super Bowl. Well, mine was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so I'm feeling pretty good about that right now. But I also had the Patriots making it out of the AFC. And they're not dead yet. The Terminator is not dead yet. But you make a good point about COVID-19. Look, we we saw in training camp, uh, the the one clip I saw from Hard Knocks this year, Anthony Lynn telling his players on the Chargers, hey, whoever masters this is going to be in position to win the Super Bowl. And I I suspect that, that Mike Tomlin understood what he needed to say how he needed to communicate, and the, the level of fear. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Look, one, one of the ways that a coach holds his team together and gets his players to do what he wants them to do is have them scared of what will happen if they don't do what the coach says. And this isn't something the Steelers are going to advertise to the world, but we haven't seen or heard any stories of Steelers players out and about doing things they shouldn't do. There haven't been any videos of Steelers players out in restaurants or bars. My guess is between the veteran leadership on that team and the head coach, no one is going to bring that virus into the facility because everyone is going straight home and keeping themselves clean and clear as best they can from the virus. Now, it's still impossible to completely insulate it from it, but I think this is one of the reasons why the Steelers are having a special season. They, they can fully trust that their guys have gotten the message from Mike Tomlin and from the veteran leaders on the team to not screw around. That's what makes it so stunning that the Patriots had a COVID issue because I thought they'd be the least likely team to, to fall into that trap. The Steelers, I think, in reality, are the least likely team to have to deal with it. Yeah, and Ben Roethlisberger, if you remember, Mike, I think it was right before the season started or maybe right when the season started, talked about we're going to do the right things on this team. We're not going to go out and eat. We're not going to – I think he's homeschooling his kids, if I remember the quote uh, accurately. He's doing everything right and said he expects all the other players on the team to do that. So that's veteran leadership right there, telling the – the other players, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to stay healthy. And so far, whatever the Steelers are doing – it's work for them, and they do look like they are the team right now, the healthiest, without COVID issues, everything else. They're just rolling along, uh, and, and the train is, is on the tracks and, and moving toward the playoffs and potentially a Super Bowl. That said, when I went back and watched the Ravens-Steelers game last night and again early this morning, my big takeaway was how in the hell did the Ravens lose that game? There's a rematch coming up three weeks and two days. Thanksgiving night, Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. That's a big game for the Steelers to assert that it really is a special season for them. All right, the Broncos uh, trying to turn their season around. They had that great comeback win over the Chargers on Sunday. There was an announcement today that both John Elway and Joe Ellis, the guys who are essentially running that franchise until an owner is appointed from Pat Boland's family, both have tested positive for COVID-19. And it's just an indication that, look, the virus is out there. And the NFL said on Sunday they're seeing an increase among the Tier 3 individuals who aren't part of the actual nucleus of the team but work around the team and provide services to the team. They're seeing increases just like we're seeing them throughout society and as we get to cold and flu season the numbers keep going up I know people are numb to it but the numbers keep going up and this is just a a a product of that reality people are going to get it no matter how careful people are Shereen yes they are Mike and we saw it with the Broncos last week they were without their defensive coordinator Ed Donatel and and without offensive line coach Mike Munchak, uh, COVID protocols for them. And, you know, Graham Glasgow has it. So it's been in their facility. It's been around and it's knocked some people out. And unfortunately for them, their leadership uh, now is out of the building and, and recouping uh, at home in isolation. And the good news for the Broncos today, actually, it, it emerged last night, Vaughn Miller announcing that despite that ankle injury that we thought would knock him out for the season, he will be back. Hear it directly from him. Here he is. I'm feeling good, man. My, my ankle's feeling good. I'm straight. I'm feeling real good, man. Hopefully a couple weeks. Say about like three weeks to a month. I should be ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, I plan on coming back this year. 
He's going to be ready in three or four weeks. And, you know, the Broncos right now with that win on Sunday, they're, they're in the mix for the seventh seed or the eighth seed if there is an eighth seed in the AFC at three and four. There's always that team, I say this every year around Thanksgiving, that's hovering around four and four, four and five, five and four, five and five, and they 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 have it all fall together. And in Drew Locke, if he can stay healthy, they have a guy who who I think could could lead them to a good place. And if they get Vaughn Miller back, that's going to make that defense even better, Shireen. Yeah, he had his surgery September 11th, Mike, and he did say in October that if I can play, I'm coming back. I don't care where we are in the standings, but it looks like they're going to be in it, at least for that last wild card spot uh, for a while now. So that gives him hope to come back. And Mike, you've talked a lot about what a big year this would be for him to come back if he can come back with his contract and, and what the numbers are for next year. The Broncos need to see something for him. He had a down year last year and then the injuries this year. He needs to show him something if he gets a chance to come back. He's always been very aware of the reality that when he gets to the out years of the contract, he's in jeopardy of being traded or cut. And I think it's important to him to show everyone, the Broncos first and foremost, but then any other potentially interested team that he's still got it because the Broncos probably will be looking at all options in the offseason as they get to that point in the contract where there's no cap consequence. You've got a big cap number, and next year the salary cap for all teams likely to be in the range of $175 million. They may have to make a decision about Von Miller. All right, no decision to be made here. It's time for us to take a break. When we return, Packers versus Vikings. Rewatch from one of the favorite games that we identified coming out of Week 8. We'll do that when this Tuesday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Let's say all, all the tests come back negative besides the one you just had. Are you confident that you'll get any of the players who missed yesterday's game because of injury back on the short week? Uh, we're hopeful, but, uh, you know, we got to go through the week and see how their bodies feel and see how they've recovered. And I know they're doing everything in their power to get back. Matt LaFleur talking about some guys he's got banged up as they get ready for a short week. And <laughs> Gil, Brand, Gil Brand is awesome. <laughs> Hall of Famer, longtime Cowboys executive. The 49ers are saying, hold my Pinot Noir. Yeah, the 49ers have no sympathy for anyone who is dealing with injury. Now, for the Packers, it's injury to Aaron Jones. It's COVID-19 reserve list for A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams. They're down to Tyler Irvin. They got a guy on the practice squad if Jones can't play. Jones was a limited participant in practice yesterday. That phony, if they had practiced, he would have been limited BS. Not that it's, you know what I mean. It's, I, I understand they have to do it. It's just goofy that they didn't practice. But if they had practiced, he would have been limited. We'll see what today's report says about whether or not Aaron Jones is moving toward playing. But uh, Jones wasn't available for the Packers last week. It showed Uh, especially as the Packers were trying to erase a two-touchdown margin. We chose Vikings-Packers for our Week 8 rewatch, Shireen. And and let's start with the category that we always begin with, best player on the field. Now, you know what my choice will be. I'll let you go first. Well, I know what your choice is going to be, which is why I didn't pick him. 
So I'm going to go with the second best player on the field, and I thought that was Devontae Adams. And he almost single-handedly won that game as much as Dalvin Cook won that game uh, for the Vikings. He scored on touchdowns of 5-1 and 7 yards. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers just seems really comfortable with Devontae Adams. I mean, he targets him on big plays. I was really surprised on one of the fourth, the key fourth down play that he didn't target Devontae Adams. He went to Robert Tanyan and said, but... Devontae Adams, I think, at least I do, overlook him when we start talking about the best receivers in football, but I think you have to include his name in the best receivers in football because it doesn't matter how much they double him, what they do to him, he always finds a way to get open, and he always finds a way to score touchdowns. And I guess I at least need to start thinking about him more when we start talking about those best receivers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers said after the game that the Vikings played a lot more cover, too, than they ordinarily do as – Mike Zimmer tries to be a little less predictable, and they still were able to beat it three times for touchdowns to Devontae Adams. They're just overmatched in that secondary, and that helped. But Adams was great, and he did stand out, and he helped keep the Packers in the game. Mine is Dalvin Cook, without question. The first Vikings player to have four touchdowns since Ahmad Rashad against the 49ers in 1979. The only other one to do it was Chuck Foreman on a snowy Saturday in Buffalo in December of 1975. Dalvin Cook was unstoppable. Dalvin Cook, if he can stay healthy, and that has been the big knock on him. You know, Mike Zimmer compared him to Emmett Smith on Monday. The big difference, though, is Emmett Smith never missed time. And if he did, it wasn't much time with injury. You've got to be durable. You've got to be on the field. That's not a knock on Dalvin Cook. Guys get injured. It's a tough game. It's not easy. It's just remarkable when a guy can keep going and going and going. If Cook could stay healthy, he could he could be the best running back in all of football, Shereen. They're a completely different team with him. He's second in the NFL with 652 yards, leads the NFL with 10 touchdowns. I mean, what is he, third in, in yards from scrimmage? This guy's great, and it's good they paid him because he's worth every penny. I know there aren't many running backs that I would say pay. He's definitely worth it, but he's got to stay healthy. But let's give a shout-out to Mike, to that offensive line. I mean, they've drafted guys like Ezra Cleveland and Garrett Bradbury, guys that really fit what Gary Kubiak wants to do with that zone running scheme. And it works. And they picked the right guys. And the tight ends, too, just made some incredible blocks. But you saw them getting downfield, blocking 30 yards downfield. It was incredible to me what that offensive line and those tight ends did blocking-wise. I texted play-by-play announcer Paul Allen after the game, what the hell happened? He said the offensive line played better than it has in a very, very long time, and that was one of the keys for the Vikings winning that game. They were going to have to outscore the Packers, and they did. All right, who was better than it seemed when you took a closer look at the game? I thought it was Eric Kendricks, and Kirk Cousins after the game just couldn't stop talking about the linebacker and what he did. And You look at his stat line, I mean, he had 12 tackles, and, and that's it on the stat line, but several of those were run stops. But to me, the biggest play he made was, you know, they're so banged up in the secondary, really, really decimated in that secondary, which is probably why they played more cover uh, schemes this week. But he was back there with Devontae Adams and actually broke up a pass. And I'm like, how did he stay with Devontae Adams on that uh, in coverage? But he did, and he played great, and he just kept showing up on film, just making play after play after play. Big part of that, that defense now and, and a leader on that defense, and I think it showed. You know, for me, it was Kirk Cousins. I, I went into the rewatch thinking that Kirk was just a bystander. We had the stat yesterday of... The, the number of air yards on average per throw, the throw chart for Cousins and Rodgers, it's dramatically different. All of Cousins' throws were close to the line of scrimmage. He averaged fewer than two yards per attempt in the air. He averaged more than 11 yards per attempt <laughs> once the yards after the catch were factored in, and his one touchdown was a 50-yarder because it was a flip to Dalvin Cook who did the rest. But here's the thing. The Vikings' offense works and there's that there's that chart. that chart is just amazing the Vikings offense works when the run game works but the quarterback still has a role in it he can't blow it and Cousins didn't blow it he wasn't just handoff machine and short passes he had to make some good decisions he had to be smart with the football he didn't have any turnovers and you know that the running game gave him enough time to operate the passing game but you can't deny a passer rating of 138.1 he was very efficient and and again I went into it with a low bar thinking 
it was like that Falcons game week one of last year where he threw 10 passes total. And it's like, yeah, he's just, he's just hanging around for 33 million a year. He was a little bit more than that. I was impressed with what he did. All right. Who had a day that they would like to forget Shereen? Well, I think it's the Packers defense. I mean, when you give up 173 rushing yards and Dalvin Cook runs all over you, and I thought his most impressive play was the 50-yard touchdown catch, the way he went through that Packers defense. But, you know, they, they allowed 324 yards, and they got no turnovers. They really did nothing to, to help the Packers, to help Aaron Rodgers. And the Vikings scored on their first four possessions. It was touchdown, 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 and the Packers couldn't keep, um, Packers couldn't keep up offensively. Defense had to make a stop. They didn't make a stop when they needed to make a stop. Yeah, for me, it was the officials, and specifically referee Alex Kemp, now in his third year as uh, an NFL referee. Look, I don't know what ultimately happened, whether it was Mike Zimmer cursed at them and scared them, which I can relate to, and and they changed their mind (laughs) on that key pass interference where, where Anthony Harris obviously made contact with Robert Tanyan before the ball got there or whether it was the the league office buzzed Alex Kemp and told him to pick up the flag but that flag should have stood maybe Kemp didn't see it at the time but as the leader of the crew you got to know who to trust you got to know how to make a good decision and ultimately it's your call that flag should not have been picked up that is a day that I think Alex Kemp is going to always remember and wish he could forget because that that potentially affected the outcome of the game. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, it, it was about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter when it occurred. If that drive had continued, the Packers would have scored, could have scored, and then would have had more time and more opportunities to either force overtime or win it outright because when they did score down 28-14, they went for two and got it and made it a six-point game. One more touchdown, and they could have won the game in regulation. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Week 8 Awards. MDS is going to join us. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Gigantic sports weekend on NBC, Clemson, Notre Dame, 7 Eastern on Saturday night. Then Saturday Night Live. Check that out. I've been watching it every week. I watch it in the morning, though, because I need my sleep on Saturday nights because Sundays are always big, and this Sunday has the NASCAR Championship at 3 Eastern. And then at 7 Eastern, Football Night in America, leading into the Saints at the Buccaneers. Tom Brady, Antonio Brown, Drew Brees can't miss that one. All right. Time for the awards coming out of Week 8. Michael David Smith joins us. Let's get right to it. MDS, Offensive Player of the Week. Who you got? Travis Fulgham, the Eagles' offense did not look good against a bad Cowboys defense, except when they were throwing the ball to Travis Fulgham. And he's been amazing. He was cut by three different teams in the month before the start of the regular season. Didn't even get on the active roster until Week 4. Since week four, he's the NFL leader in receiving yards. He has been a remarkable story. And and I was extremely impressed with how he played in the context of how badly the rest of that offense was playing on Sunday night. 
MDS, my pick did not come out of nowhere. His name is Patrick Mahomes, and I know it was just against the Jets, but still, it was 419 yards, 416 yards, five touchdowns. By the end of the game, he's standing over on the sideline, and in case anyone had forgotten about Patrick Mahomes in the MVP conversation, he put his name right back in that conversation. He's second to Russell Wilson in touchdowns and passer rating. And you know what? He's only thrown one interception this year. Put his name in MVP conversation. Yeah, he's got 21 and one in seven games, eight games, excuse me. Russell Wilson has 26 and six in seven games. He's on pace for more touchdowns. He means more to his team, I think, than Patrick Mahomes because Wilson doesn't have the supporting cast. I think it may come down to those two. And one of the big factors may be which team gets the number one seed if one of the two ultimately does. For me, it's Dalvin Cook. For all reasons that I just expressed in the last segment of the program, four touchdowns, first time a Vikings player has done it in 41 years. Cook, one of the best running backs in the NFL, needs to stay healthy. He could actually pull the Vikings back into the race for the seventh seed or the eighth seed if there is one, if he can stay healthy for the balance of the season. MDS, Defensive Player of the Week time. Who you got? I got Darius Leonard, who returned to the Colts lineup and made a big difference. When he is in there, the Colts' defense is as good as any defense in the league. The Lions, they, they just could not run the ball with Darius Leonard in the game. I think Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift combined average like one yard per carry in the game. Uh, Darius Leonard is a really special player. I think he's as good an inside linebacker as there is in the NFL right now. MDS, I picked the Miami defense, and I think you could have picked any of those 11 players, but I'm going with Eric Rowe. I just thought he had an outstanding uh, game for the Dolphins. You know, that defense forced four turnovers. They scored on one. Uh, they set up TD drives of, of 33 and one yards. I mean, they were just a difference in that game with the way Tua was playing. He had seven tackles, an interception, and five pass breakups. Eric Rowe and that entire Dolphins defense was just outstanding on Sunday. I noticed before the Steelers-Ravens game on Sunday, Mark Caboli of The Athletic, previously the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, tweeted that he thinks Stephon Tewitt's going to have a big game for the Steelers. And he did. Nine tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss, three quarterback hits. He was all over Lamar Jackson. There was one play where he just got a push up the middle. It's almost like there was no one blocking him. He got into the backfield so quickly. It was Aaron Donald-type stuff, and uh, it was an amazing performance, part of an amazing defense that I think is going to have a defensive player of the week each and every week as we proceed through the season. All right, Rookie of the Week time, MDS. I went with J.K. Dobbins, even though he did it in a losing effort for the Ravens because – he had such an outstanding game, particularly when you look at what that Steelers defense had been doing to running backs all season. They had stopped all running backs on about 25% of all carries they faced this season. They had stopped about 25% of the time the running back for no gain. J.K. Dobbins was never held to less than two yards on any carry. Averaged 7.5 yards a carry. Just had a terrific game even in a losing effort against the Steelers. MDS, I am going with Zach Moss, the Bills running back. Got to throw some love to the Bills for their victory over the Patriots. They had 190 rushing yards, and he was a big part of that. He had 14 carries, 81 yards, and two touchdowns in the victory over the Patriots. Just a great job with Devin Singletary running the ball, and Josh Allen had some big runs too. But those guys just made, made it so easy on Josh Allen in the passing game because of the way they ran the football. Yeah, that was one of the struggles of the Bills. And back to Dobbins, Mark Ingram had to look at that performance on Sunday by the Ravens and realize he's not going to be on that team next year. He's got a $5 million salary. Unless he takes a huge pay cut and maybe they'll offer him one, they're just at the point where it's time to cycle through to the younger guys because the younger guys get it done, and J.K. Dobbins clearly got it done. For me, look, I think I need to name the Rookie of the Week, the Joe Burrow Memorial Rookie of the Week Award, even though he's obviously alive. But Because uh, I would pick him every week. And I'm going to try to consciously not pick him. I want to spread it around a little bit. I'm going to go with Trayvon Diggs, the Cowboys rookie defensive back. He had a rough start to the season, had a rough start to the game against the Eagles, but he finished with two interceptions. And yes, they lost. But it's to the extent that there are very, very few bright spots on that Cowboys roster, Shereen, as you well know, Trayvon Diggs was one of them on Sunday night. So 
So he has that going for him. I'm sure like they'd rather win the game, but at least they got something <laughs> out of week eight. All right, coach of the week, MDS, who you got? Well, I got Raheem Morris, and it, it comes down to, for me, what Bill Parcells said, you are what your record says you are. The Falcons were 0-5 with Dan Quinn, and now they're 2-1 with Raheem Morris, including Thursday's win over the Panthers. I think Morris is making a strong case that he deserves to be the Falcons head coach on a permanent basis. That decision won't be made anytime soon, but they gave him a long portion of the season, the last 11 games, to prove himself. I, I think the Falcons dug too big a hole for themselves to realistically get into playoff contention. But I think if Morris can get them close to 500, I think they ought to give him the job on a full-time basis. MDS, I'm going with another Chief. And yes, I know they just played the Jets. I understand the Jets may not even qualify as a NFL team, much less a good NFL team. But Andy Reid uh, joined Curly Lambeau in all-time fifth place, tied for fifth place, all-time wins, including the postseason. Uh, and it was, has just been outstanding as a head coach. 229 wins all-time now, including the postseason. Uh, and, and it's just been great at, at everything. Sometimes we, ta we take him for granted for how good he's been as a head coach. For me, it's uh, – and I'm going to stick with the, the Vikings game. It's, it's got to be Mike Zimmer. Um, Dalvin Cook told me after the game, Zimmer's been very, very hard on them lately for blowing leads. Cook said he responds to that well. Obviously, he did. Zimmer was flexible on defense, used a lot of cover two, as we mentioned earlier, to try to confuse the Green Bay Packers. And also, something Cook told me, you know, and, and this is more Zimmer's staff, but Zimmer's in charge of the staff. He empowers the guys to do this. Cook comes to the sideline and he tells Kennedy Polamalu, his position coach, he tells Rick Dennison, the offensive line coach, what's working, and they adjust the game plan to fit what Cook sees. And obviously, it worked on Sunday against the Packers. So kudos to Mike Zimmer. That was a game the Vikings desperately needed in a very, very bad season. All right, speaking of very, very bad seasons, Joe Douglas has Jets fans very upset because of something he said less than an hour ago. We'll explain that next when PFTPM continues right after this. In your opinion, can this team get to where you want it to be with Adam as the head coach? Yes. You know, ultimately, like I said, I have to do a better job for all these coaches and players. And the hope is that we can fix these problems together um, and, and be here together for a while. So you're saying he's part of the solution then? Yes. He's, uh, he kind of, I don't know what he's looking around at. It's like, can somebody help me out here? Can I escape? Can I run? Is the door there? Is the door there? <laughs> yeah. Look, he's in a tough spot because here's the thing. He was hired essentially by Gase. Remember when Mike McCagden got fired, the first name that came up was Douglas because the perception was that was Gase's choice, Shireen. So they're kind of tied together and we're moving in on the bye week for the Jets. If Gase is going to go during the season, it's going to be in the aftermath of the Patriots game next Monday night. And they also said Sam Darnold is the quarterback. How does that happen, Mike? I don't know what the Jets wow. are doing, but we'll see after the season. I don't know much about the Jets, but I do know this. If you haven't voted, go vote. The clock is ticking wherever you are. Get to the polls. We'll see you tomorrow with another edition of PFTPM. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.